the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. We're going to continue this morning with a third of a three-part series which um, dealt with what is the definition of eternal life. Uh, just, I'm going to encourage you to go to the KPRZ website, and if you missed the first two uh, presentations, you can uh, click on the pull-down menu for podcasts, and you should be able to see the two earlier uh, shows that were broadcast, I believe, September 4th and September 11th. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time in review, but I just want to give a little bit of context that before we get into our new material this morning. And basically what we uh, did the first week was we defined eternal life in a biblical uh, context. And uh, we talked about um, how we, with Gentile backgrounds, Uh, whether we were Catholics or Protestants, didn't matter, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, whatever. Uh, We were all taught pretty much the same thing, that uh, eternal life was a future uh, event um, by which after we passed away we would be transported up to a place called heaven, and I believe in heaven. Um, I'm very pro-heaven. But um, eternal life was to begin when we entered into heaven. And we pretty much reviewed the biblical definitions, and we didn't come up with the same conclusion. Um, We're not uh, going against heaven. Heaven's a wonderful place. I certainly want to go there uh, when I pass on. But um, that's not eternal life according to the Scripture. So what we came up with was eternal life. Uh, We used a couple of key verses, uh, John uh, fourteen six, um, that uh, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Then he uses the word life here, and I am the life. And he says, no one gets to the Father but through me. And that was uh, uh, used as a jumping off point to say, well, okay, but what, what is, where does it say what eternal life is? And so we jumped over to John seventeen three. And we reviewed that uh, eternal life as defined under John 17, 3. It actually says the words into the lead-in 
to the definition. It actually says, and this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So we concluded in the earlier teachings that um, eternal life was a relational experience when it says no, it wasn't no about in the rational Greek mind. It was more of a no from a heart-structured, uh, heart-sourced uh, relational experience of trust. And, and then we added a dimension that there's another place in the Bible where eternal life is defined. And again, we were in the book of John. And we came up with John 12:50, which talks about uh, Jesus says, and the command of my Father is life. So eternal life in John 17, 3 is knowing uh, the Father and the Son and knowing relationally. And then John twelve fifty says, oh, and by the way, uh, the command of my Father is life. And so we talked um, uh, some connecting some dots there. And does eternal life have anything to do with following the commands of God? And so uh, we went all the way back into Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy 30, and we saw that Moses oftentimes laid, off, laid out you know, for the people of God that it was a choice between life and death. There wasn't much discussion about going to places. In fact, there wasn't any of uh, etern- defining eternal life as going to a place called heaven or the opposite was a place called hell. And that, that wasn't ever presented uh, to the people of God um, as they traveled from Egypt over to the promised land. It, it was always described as make a choice between uh, good and evil, and here it is, life and death. So, and then we asked the question, well, why did Jesus come? And uh, again, this is review, and Jesus was very clear in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So it wasn't something that was just um, a one-time, one-off experience of transportation. It was more relational than transportational. And what we concluded with John 10.10 was um, that Jesus actually says in that verse, this is the reason I came. And so then we, when we ask the question, well, how do we know that we know God if we're going to follow John 17, 3? In other words, how do we know that we know him? And then we talked about 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. And uh, it said, this is how you know that you know him if you keep his commandments. Well, that tied into our earlier a study of John twelve fifty, where Jesus says, the command of my Father is life. And now we have an epistle written by John, not just the gospel, but the epistle of John, 1 John verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is how we know that we know him. And let me actually read this out of the uh, New King James. And going to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Looking at verse 3, now by this we know that we know him, comma, if we keep his commandments. Look at verse 4, 
He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You can go, even go on contextually to look at verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God, is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So that's pretty clear. Um, life is relational. It is not uh, locational or transportational. It is more of a development of an ongoing relationship. Uh, we also discussed that um, Paul the Apostle was talking about how do you a- obtain this thing called eternal life. And we talked about the words that Paul uses, lay hold. And we talked about what that meant. And we looked at that in First um, Timothy 6, verse 12, and again in First Timothy 6, verse 19. And um, lay hold of life required exertion. It required uh, movement on our part. It required um, a commitment. It required dedication. It required effort on our part. And we talked about um, whether initial salvation was... It's a, we know it's a free gift. can't earn salvation initially. Uh, but the, is the purpose of, of salvation, we discussed whether it was a scholarship, in other words, a gift of an opportunity, a gift of a chance, or was it more of a diploma? And um, when we looked at the verses about eternal life with Paul, he lays out pretty clearly in Philippians 3, 8 through 14, again using the words lay hold, that he, in, in fact, all throughout his uh, epistles, he's talking about running a race. Here in 1 Timothy 6.12, he's talking about fight the good fight of faith so that we may lay hold um, on what Christ has laid hold on for us. And he says, I consider everything of the world to be rubbish if I may come to know him, K-N-O-W. Again, that's the pursuit of the relationship. And so, uh, and then we said, doesn't, I mean, Paul is, is beating his body, running races, fighting the good fight, and um, he's pressing in. And so, obviously, Paul understood that the initial experience of salvation was a gift of an opportunity. I guess a good comparable example would be um, like a musical instrument, like a piano. If someone gave you a free gift of a piano and um, there came a bench, a sitting bench with the piano, and inside the sitting bench were all the musical books, all the instructional um, materials on how to read music. And the purpose of the gift of the piano itself is so that it will uh, produce wonderful music by the person who learns and engages the instrument. But if the bench is never opened, as far as getting the, the workbooks out and the going through all of the different exercises that you do when you learn how to play the piano, if that's never done, it, became, it becomes rather a, just a, 
idle piece of furniture that be very attractive. But that really isn't the purpose of the musical instrument. It's designed to be engaged and played. And that music uh, is designed to be enjoyed. And in many cases, um, give life to people by encouraging them and and by um, having them enjoy the music to be uh, worshiping God or to, for example, just um, communing with the Lord. And yet if the person never never engages the free gift, then what was the point? So here we go. Um, and then moving on, there was a question that we also dealt with was um, when Jesus in Matthew seven thirteen and through 14 answered, talks about um, what is life and how do we attain life. And he talks about how the way towards life is, is a narrow road. It's difficult. He uses those words. And he, but then he ends it by saying there are only a few that find it. And so I think sometimes we, when we're taught in Greek linear thinking um, with a Jewish story, which is cyclical and circular, we, we're taught that life is a, you know, a, a, we go to get our ticket, we've said the, you know, we went to the Billy Graham crusade, we saw the TV evangelist, and we said the four spiritual laws, and then we said Romans 10, 9, and 10, and we invited the Lord into our heart, and boom, it's it. Ticket to ride. You're done. But when we talk about the point of salvation, what's the purpose of why Jesus came? He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Those are his own words that he explained in John chapter 10, verse 10. And so some, so Paul seems to understand that there's something, there's a point of why he was saved. There's a larger goal and that is the whole idea of why he was saved. And so he understood um, that, dude, if I have to beat my body, if I have to fight the good fight, if I have to run the race to win, I am going to do it and consider everything of the world to be rubbish in proportion to that I may attain to know Christ. And that's called relationship. And it's interesting, I think it's very shocking when people study Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, when Jesus talks about um, the, the goal of life and how you uh, get to it. It costs something. And, and in our modern uh, church doctrine, um, by the way, which is un- very unfortunately, we disconnected from our Hebrew roots, so we don't understand the first two-thirds of the Bible. We don't even think they're connected. We don't understand the covenants. We don't understand the prototypes of the Jewish people to serve as an example of, of how you have a relationship with God, um, whether it's the, the, Noah, the Noah covenant, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob covenant, whether it's uh, the the uh, covenant with Moses, whether it's the Davidic covenant, we don't understand that all of that was to be a prototype, an example of how to have life with God by engaging God in a relationship. And then we ended um, with the Matthew seven twenty one, which um, really was a group that was shocking for most believers when 
uh, Jesus says in uh, Matthew seven twenty one. he basically says, uh, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, um, and, and people who say, but don't you know who we are? And that's the question that Jesus is answering. Many will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he's going to say to them, after all that long list of uh, supposedly accomplishments, he say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you who practiced lawlessness. So now we're back into this issue of whether there's a connection of obeying God's commandments, which would lead to knowing God, which is a relationship which is, equals the eternal life definition that the Bible gives us as to the goal of the Judeo-Christian walk. If we don't understand the goal, why are we even engaging in it? We're just wasting our time. And so we studied the verses the last time of John fourteen fifteen. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, John fourteen twenty one. if you keep my commands, you'll be loved by my Father, and then I will love you and make manifest to you. And then the real zinger was John fourteen twenty three. if you love me, keep my word, and my Father will love you, and we will come, this is plural, we, plural, will come and make our home with him. Now that's intimacy. Now we're talking relationship where the Godhead wants to actually enter in. It's consistent with um, that verse in Revelation. I think it's Revelation 3 um, where we see Jesus standing at the door and knocking. It's, um, yeah, um, in 3.20, in Revelation chapter 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, didn't say alongside, it said in to him and dine with him and him with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also came and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've got to get, we've got to go back to the biblical definitions of things because if we don't Go back to the original scripture. We have to have scripture for what we do and what we believe. Okay, so that is pretty much um, the review. We did talk really briefly about uh, Romans chapter uh, 12. And the reason we brought that up in connection with what is life and how do we attain life. Um, In Romans chapter 12, the first two verses and read from the New King James. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's verse 1. Look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. We cannot obey God if we don't know what his will is. 
That makes sense. How can we obey someone when we do not know what his will is? Paul um, wrote, I believe it was in Corinthians, that uh, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but all that matters, the only thing that matters is keeping the commandments of God. Well, our job is to determine and discern what God's will is in particular situations and circumstances. Um, And if we don't understand that, then how can we say, oh, we've done the will of God? The, The group of Matthew 7, 21 didn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. They were dismayed and shocked. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me find it here real quick. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who does the will of my Father in heaven So going back to how important it is that we know God intimately, relationally, so we have eternal life, one way to do that, and Jesus says in many times in John chapter 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, those, all those four chapters, he says, hey, you want to be my friend? Then do what I say. You want to, um, you want to know me? Then do what I say. Keep my word keep my commandments. That's how you, we prove that we know God. And if we know God, then we ha- have a relationship with God. And then we can claim, hey, I'm living eternal life, not in the future, but in the here and now. And that's how we're supposed to do it, in the here and now. Because we're the most powerful people in the world if we live our life two or three seconds at a time. And we're going to talk about that in the other side of the break here. We're going to talk about how do we transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And these are things that I taught to the inmates in the local jails here in San Diego County for a decade. And it had such an impact on the prison population that the the deputies, because you know the local jails are run by the sheriff department, and their sergeants and the lieutenants, and they came up to us. And we had six um, six areas where six houses, if you will, where we taught um, on Sunday evenings, and um, we taught two of the six areas. And we got inquiries all the time. What are you guys teaching in houses five and six? And we asked them, they said, why? What do you, why do you ask? And they said, because the inmates aren't acting like inmates anymore. And there are other churches. We had them on a rotational basis. In fact, I was the um, Sunday night chaplain, and I, we had churches that would come in on a rotational basis in houses one, two, and three, and four. Um, but they said, we don't see the changes over there. But we do see the changes where in housing five and six. And we said, we are teaching the gospel of the kingdom. We're teaching the kingdom of God. We're not teaching church doctrine. We're not teaching um, church dogma. Uh, we're, we're not concerned about denominations. 
We just want to go and teach the rhema, the word of God, the logos. We want to teach the word. And as we, we wanted to be practical and show the inmates that they could take the precepts and the principles that we were teaching and they could apply them right where they were in those particular circumstances at the particular time. And, sim- and simply by taking bite-sized chunks of time and starting to do what the word said to do. And we just broke it down. We broke it down. We gave them the large uh, outline at first, but then we said, so let's break it down to smaller pieces. So when we're told in Romans 12, 1, that we're we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, um, here's Paul again. He's telling us this is another version of him um, beating his body, running the race, fighting the good fight, uh, pursuing and basically laying hold of something. And here he's saying, hey, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, this is this is God's norm. And it's interesting to see that, you know, um, and I've explained this to my Messianic Jewish friends. I said, you know, you guys had to um, honor the Shabbat one day a week. You had to give one day a week to the Lord. But in the New Covenant, we all have to give every day of the week Every moment of the day to the Lord, look at Romans look at Romans twelve one. The reasonable service is presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. So in verse two, we have to know and be trained how that we can prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Maybe that has something to do with becoming a living sacrifice and transforming ourselves by the renewing of our mind. We'll discuss that on the other side of the break and we'll give you some techniques on how to do just that. Well, we're back with you this morning and uh, pursuing this concept of what is eternal life? How is it to be laid hold of? And um, we're talking about how do we discern what the will of God is? Um, Obeying God has something to do with how we obtain um, eternal life by knowing God. And knowing God is intimately is, is... uh, by definition, under our earlier verses that we covered, John seventeen three for one of them, is eternal life. And so um, I wanted to go over with you some of the things that um, we taught the inmates because they said, we want eternal life. And we said, good, you don't have to, we don't have to wait until we die in order to be transported to have eternal life. Eternal life, if it's a relationship with God by knowing him, and we prove how we know him, that's evidence. We prove how we know him by keeping his word, keeping his command. And again, if you look at John twelve fifty, Jesus said, the command of my father is eternal life. Okay? So it's knowing and keeping his command. So how do we prove um, what the perfect and acceptable and good word, uh, will of God is? Good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do we do that? Because we can't keep his command. We can't obey God if we don't know what his will is in a particular situation. 
And so um, I want to take you over to Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five, and then we're gonna and we're gonna really focus on verse five there. So I'm gonna read out of the King um, New King James. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against, notice this, the knowledge of God. Okay, let's just stop right there. This has to do with the knowledge of God, not knowledge about God, but knowing God relationally. So I'll read that verse 5 again, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, comma. And here's the last part of verse 5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to read that same verse to you um, out of the complete Jewish Bible uh, by David Stern, because he has a way of phrasing this. So let me get over to 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Sorry, let's let's go start at verse 3. For although we do live in the world, we do not wage war in a worldly way, because the weapons we use to wage war are not worldly. On the contrary, they have God's power for demolishing strongholds. We demolish arguments and every arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. There's the, there's the word knowledge again. Again, that's the tie-in to eternal life, comma. We take every thought captive and make it obey the Messiah. I really like the phraseology here uh, rather than saying taking every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. I'd rather say it's more clear to me in this complete Jewish Bible, study Bible by David Stern. We take every thought captive and make it obey the Messiah. So we would do drills with the inmates, and um, I would ask the inmates, okay, guys, let's let's put this to practice and let's watch um, the kingdom power here. Um, First of all, I ask them, how long do you think you can control your thoughts? Let's start, you know, the clock at like 60 seconds. And um, I would ask them, can you, continue, can you control your thoughts for 60 seconds? And the responses were, no, no, that's too much, et cetera, et cetera. So I started to lower the bar. And I started to say, okay, how about 45 seconds? No, no way. Okay, how about 30 seconds? No. Well, make a long story short, from 30 seconds, continuing to lower the bar, we went all the way down to two seconds. And I finally said, can you control your thoughts for two seconds at a time? And finally, we got a yes. These are about 45 guys in a multi-purpose room. Yeah, we can, we can co- control our thoughts for two seconds at a time. I said, great. So that's 1,001, 1,002. There's your, there's your two seconds. And so the next part became a little more of a challenge because I'm thinking, okay, now what do I do now, Lord? Because I didn't go in prepared to exactly teach on that. And I said, how do I instruct them to take every thought captive uh, to make, the, uh, make them obey Christ? And I'm looking around the room, and there's an t- old TV set there. And on top of the TV set, there's a remote control. And the, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, grab that remote, so, which I did. I grabbed it, and then I felt the Holy Spirit say, look at the face of the remote, which I did. And then I felt the Holy Spirit said, show them. Show the class the pause button on the remote, which I did. And I showed the class the pause button. And, I, and, uh, and then I took it from there. 
I think I understood what the Holy Spirit wanted to roll out in that moment and basically said, let's pull experientially you into this discussion. Have you ever been watching a movie while you're home? You have a DVR, the remote's in your hand. And this is back in the days when lots of, we weren't streaming yet, but people were watching DVDs. And I said, let's say you're right in the middle of a really, really interesting movie and it's really got you involved and um, you're hungry, you want to uh, go upstairs and make a sandwich or whatever, or you have to go to the restroom or something, um, and you don't want to miss the movie, I said, what button do you push on the remote uh, to, to, you know, to stop that movie? And they said, well, the pause button. And I said, exactly. And when you push that pause button, I said, what occurs to the, the imagery that was in motion on the screen? What happens to it? And they said, well, it, it freeze frames it. And I said, exactly. And I said, when you freeze frame, frame a image um, that was earlier moving, when it is in its frozen position, um, are you able to see more detail or less detail in the image um, c- compared to when it was moving. And they all agreed. And they said, no, you can, you can see more, much more detail when the image is frozen. I said, okay. Um, and I said, I passed the remote control around to the class at that point. And I said, I want everybody to look at that button on that machine. So they, everyone passed it uh, around and they found the remote control button. And when it get, came back to me, I said, now I want, you to, I want you to imagine, I want you to picture that you have a remote control um, in your hand. And there's a, there's a movie that's going on in your head right now. And it's a movie of thoughts. And it's in motion. And I said, there are three sources, potential sources, that those um, thoughts originate and um, I said, your job is to stop the motion. You told me earlier that you can control your thoughts two seconds at a time. I said, so you want to make sure your thumb is going to be limber because you're going to be pushing that, re- that pause button over and over and over because when you first start this, this is very new, and we need to know how do you transform yourself, as we saw in Romans twelve two, by the renewing of your mind so that you can know the good and perfect will of God? You can't do it if you have a rampaging thought life of thoughts that are out of control and you are not engaging with your authority that God gave you, not just over your parts of your human body, but including your thought life. And I said, you know, when you were first born again, a lot of them were born again, I said, you know, when you said, oh, I commit my life to you, uh, Lord, did you exclude from that commitment your thought life and say, no, I'm holding that reserve. No, no, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be disciplined about that. Well, Jesus gave everything when he died on the cross for us. He gave everything. And I don't think um, this partial dedication is going to fly if it's incumbent upon us 
to figure out how do we attain eternal life based on knowing God in a relational way. And if the command of God is the proof or the measurement stick as to whether we know him or not, Remember John, First John two, three, and four. And this is how this is how we know that we know Him. First John two, verses three and four. This is how we know that we know Him, whether we keep His commandments or not. Okay. So I said you can't even know the will of God if your thought life is out of control. So we did some experiments, and I said, okay. Um, they said, well, how do I start to do this? I said, okay. In jail, it's different from prison. Um, you are uh, kind of by on a conveyor belt, if you will. You're waiting for your arraignment. You're waiting for your pretrial. You're waiting for your actual trial itself. You're waiting for your sentencing. And so there's a lot of moving back and forth between jails and courts. And so breakfast is rushed, as is lunch oftentimes. And so I said, how long do they give you um, in the jail here for breakfast? And they said, oh, about 20 minutes. I said, okay. So I said, this is what I want you to do tomorrow morning. This is Sunday evenings, and so these are the little um, drills that we gave the inmates to do. And I said, when you go to the breakfast table tomorrow, I said, how many guys are at the table? And they said, eh, five guys. And I said, okay, you greet everybody at the table. And then when you sit down, after you greet everybody, I said, you don't say anything to anyone until God tells you what to say and to whom to say it. And I said, that's going to happen for about 20 or 25 minutes, depending on how much time they give you. And then I said, when we come back next Sunday, I'm going to take a poll. I want to see whether you guys in general spoke more during that 25-minute period or whether you spoke less. So when we came back the following Sunday, I took the polls. I said, how did it go? And the inmates were in general agreement that not only did they speak less, they spoke a lot less. And I said, okay, you understand what you're doing. You're starting to take control over your thought life. Taking every thought captive to make it obey Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. So I said, let's, okay, the next uh, week you're going to do breakfast and lunch. And then the third week I gave them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the fourth week, I gave them all three meals, plus they got a 30-minute recreation time outside. And so we would build and build and build and build and say, listen, all I want you to do is get it down for this limited time and see how powerful it is. Because we're going to teach you how to accumulate victories and triumphs over a rampaging thought life. And we said, look... You have three sources of thoughts. Either the thoughts that you have in your mind right now either came from God or they came from the enemy or they originated with you. And, and I, I said the trick and the tactics of the enemy is to make you think that your thoughts come about 100% from you. And I said if, if he's successful in making you think that, then you're going to be very ineffective on taking every thought captive to make it obey Christ. So I said, here's what you want to do when you push the remote control button. Once you get a thought, you isolate it. You push the remote on pause. 
And then you go and they ask the Lord a question, a direct question. And you say, Lord, I have this thought. I have this image frozen. Did you, Father, just give me this thought? And then you wait and you listen for the answer because he will answer that question. And you'll hear, yes, I gave you that thought, or he'll say, no, my son, no, my daughter, I did not give you that thought. Say, okay, if Father, if God didn't give me this thought. And then they said, they said, well, what are examples of our own thoughts? And I said, okay, usually it's innocuous, neutral stuff. Okay, do I, do I uh, have Cheerios for breakfast or Wheaties? Okay, that's not earth-shaking or nothing's going to change in, in how life is composed or how it's comprised. But I said, or, or do I wear green socks with this outfit or red socks? Okay, that's probably neutral, you know, nothing there. But I said, if God says he didn't give you that thought, and it's not something to do with Cheerios or socks, um, it's probably a pretty good chance that if you're in the, not in the present tense, the enemy always loves to grab us by the collar and drag us to another time zone. If you're in the past and you're frustrated about, you're being reminded of mistakes you made, you're being reminded of, of failures of, with relationships or failures with um, you know, situations, things to uh, basically inspire you to be depressed and disillusioned and out of the presence of God. I said, that's probably not um, your thought, and it's, God already told you it wasn't his. Or if, on the other hand, you're getting pulled by the collar and you're being pulled over to the future tense. Um, so the past is, gonna, is set out to d- discourage us. The future, though, has a different um, goal in mind from the enemy, and that's to make us fearful. And if we're in the future tense, when you are pushing the remote control on the pause button and you hear questions like, what if this happens? Or what if someone says this or does this, or it's the what-if hypothetical types of questions that are not involved with you communicating with God. And you're just there supposedly alone with your thoughts, but you don't have your filter on, your Holy Spirit filter. And without that Holy Spirit filter, your life and your thoughts are, are rampaging out of control. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. And you want, he wants you to make you think that that is your norm. But it's not God's norm. And that's why we read in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that, let me grab it here real quick, just for a quick review. And I beseech you, Therefore, this is out of New New King James, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That that includes your thought life, okay? You're presenting your body a living sacrifice includes our thought life. And by the way, Carolyn Leaf, who is a um, neuroscientist from South Africa, she's written several books about the Christian experience on, on taking thoughts, control in your mind. On average, according to the neuroscientists, um, in a 16-hour wake cycle, um, you average about 30,000 thoughts a day. I'll say it again, 30,000 thoughts a day. 
So you see why we told the inmates you better have a limber uh, thumb and learn how to flex <laughs> the joints in your thumb because you're going to be pushing that button a lot because you're going to be freeze-framing thoughts, taking a look at them, and then basically saying, I'm the gateway guardian of what's going to come in to this what are we? We are temples of the living God. That includes our brain, our mind, and our thought line. It says we are the house of God. It says it in Corinthians. It says it in Hebrews, whose house we are. And we have a, a authority, not just an obligation, but we have the authority to decide what comes in and influences us. And we can't do it if we're living in a fast zone. We're like on the Autobahn in Germany with no speed limits. And especially with the type of technology that exists today with our so-called phones that really are sort of phones, but they're more computers than anything else. And so it's all about distracting you so you do not engage God with questions. You do not engage God with conversation. You do not ask questions uh, or inquiries of God. And so this technique teaches you to engage, to begin to know God so that you can determine in verse 2 of Romans 12, and do not be conformed to this world. Well, how about this world of, of technology? You talk about distractions. You talk about speed of information being thrown at us. Everything's faster, faster now. 3G isn't enough. Now we've got to, got to go to 5G. And, and so the enemy is just now overwhelming us and trying to have us not slow down, take authority that God has given us in the first two chapters of Genesis. Jesus came and reestablished that authority in Matthew 10 and again in Luke chapter 10 to give us all authority over the power of the enemy. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, that doesn't happen by, you know, flicking a switch or snapping your fingers. We haven't been trained how to do this in church settings. This is kingdom stuff because we're talking about we do not war in in Second um, Corinthians ten. We, this is part of spiritual warfare. Although we live do live in the world, we don't world. Um, I'm sorry, we do not wage war in a worldly way because the weapons we use to wage war are not worldly. On the contrary, they have God's power for demolishing strongholds. Strongholds there are talking about your belief system, what you believe, what you operate on in your mind. And so it says next after that for demolishing strongholds. So we're talking about truth versus the opposite of truth. And it's on us to be the gatekeepers and to basically say, I have at my disposal resources, divine resources, and I can ask Father God in Jesus' name to send me the Holy Spirit with all of the fruits of the Spirit, but more importantly in this case, all of the giftings of the Spirit to help me learn how to spiritually discern what is in my brain in the present moment and its origin. Because if I get it wrong, if it's there from the enemy, it's going to establish a stronghold. It will establish an argument and an arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. And what have we said the last two lessons? Knowing God is 
eternal life. That doesn't happen in the future. It happens now as we encounter our thought life right here, right now, two seconds at a time. And the inmates started to do it and do it again and do it again. Maybe they only did it five times the next day, but it was five times more than the previous day. And the enemy would come and try to put false guilt on them and saying, you know, you're a loser and why are you even engaging in this? And why don't you just quit? Because there's no way you can do 30,000 thoughts a day. And we dealt with those issues and we said, look, don't let the enemy put false guilt on you. You delivered the the message to the enemy to say, maybe I only did it five times today where I pushed the pause button on the remote control. I freeze frame that thought. I realized that this thought was not given to me by God and it wasn't a neutral thought. And God has given us the authority to bind that thought because he says, whatever you, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And Satan operates in the second heavens. So if I bind that thought that's in my mind, it is bound up in the second heavens. And then you can cast it out and you replace it with the truth of what the word says about you or about that issue that you were focusing on. And you have to replace it. You can bind it, break it, and send and cast it out because it's the body that God gave you And that body is to be indwelt by his son and by the father. And that's what John 14 is all about. John 14 is all about that. John 17 is all about that. It's all about God coming to indwell every element of us, starting at the head all the way down to the toes. And it's by the spirit and it's through the son We come back to the Father to know the Father. And that's why we make inquiries as we walk this out. This is what they call walking in the Spirit. This is what's called how to engage in spiritual warfare. So to finish the thought, we have God's power to demolish strongholds in our minds. We demolish demolish arguments in our minds and every arrogance that raises itself up against God. The knowledge of God. If we don't control our thought life, it is very likely that we are not knowing God relationally in the here and now. Growing, maturing, changing, blossoming, moving on from victory to victory, glory to glory. Precept by precept, one step at a time. These victories, are, they're cumulative, and I, and I want to encourage you to start to do what I taught the inmates in the jails and see the impact it has on your life. You can do it, and you will grow as you do it more repetitively. This is a skill. It's a divine skill. God bless you. We will see you next time on Simple Truth Moments. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth 
at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.